Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. On this final episode of the year, we are recapping the second half of the season so you can check back in with some of the takeaways from episodes you might have missed. Molly, Vera, and I want to wish you a happy, healthy, sugar-free 2022. Please know we have much more in store for you. This year, we want to tackle emotional eating, codependency, body image, self-compassion, and recovery. And we hope to dive more into the politics behind the food industry and how they keep getting us hooked. If there are guests you think we should have or topics you would like us to cover, please let us know because we created this show for you. Thank you for listening and getting us to 100,000 downloads. With your help, we hope to make it to 1 million in 2022. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone, we want to welcome you back to the Food Junkies season review. We're going to do a quick review of all the amazing guests we've had this season, season one. And we will just kind of give you the takeaways and some of our favorite parts of the information that they shared from their episode. So first off, we have Dr. Rob Saivez, and Vera is going to give us her takeaways from that episode. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm going to tell you what I thought about the Rob Sivis episode. So he's known as the carb addiction doctor, and he is a bariatric clinician who has actually a series of YouTube videos basically showing the dangers of carbohydrates and how they are the primary cause of obesity. Now, the difference about him, this is the thing I really liked about him, is he's a bariatric clinician. That means he's a doctor that treats obesity, and his main focus is not the standard diet, exercise, and maybe surgery and medication. His focus is this is an addiction and we have to use the tools of addiction first and then maybe we don't need the other tools. But he's like probably one of the only people, bariatric clinicians, that actually takes as the first step that this is a substance abuse and we have to treat it that way. And for that, I applaud him. We applaud him. We at Food Junkies love him. Yes, that was a good approach. And I think the only thing that I would shed some caution on would be his take on fruit. It can be a little aggressive and, you know, saying that fruit is poison, fruit makes you fat. And I think for some people, there can be a healthy balance, including fruit because of the fiber, like Dr. Robert Lustig speaks about. So I think that was one of the only things I think in his episode that I was like, well, I think it would be helpful to clarify that for some people. Yeah, I'd, I would even throw in there, the thing that I would caution people about is that when we asked him about volume addiction, he basically said that doesn't happen, that people don't overeat the Brussels sprouts, they don't overeat the steak. But we know anecdotally that that does. We know that we have clients that come to us and they do. And so that would be the thing that I would probably disagree with as far as his opinion goes. But otherwise, I think he's on the money. 
Yeah. Awesome. And then our next episode was Dr. Evelyn Roy and Vera is going to speak to that interview. Okay. So Dr. Evelyn Roy is our Canadian example of a low carb doctor. Well, she's a family doctor and she has a special interest in low carb and in fact did her own little clinic that was on low carb or basically obesity using low carb as the main treatment. So she did that and just that in and of itself. But actually, she's actually representative of a small group of uh, Canadian uh, family doctors, clinicians, obesity clinicians who are using low carb. And it's actually very exciting such a group like that exists. Anyway, she's one of those people and uh, is quite outspoken. The thing that I find interesting about her and that she spoke about in the podcast was her own experience, which was very much like Dr. Noak's experience, but on the Canadian soil where somebody, some professional complained and she got pulled up from the, the college basically questioned her practice and more or less, uh, well, she got the sense that if I want to, I should back down. She didn't back down, but it basically, it emotionally really, really affected her. And in fact, she did close down that low carb clinic in the end because it just ended up being too much work. Part of it also is that she left and she's actually moved out of the country. So there's other stuff happening, but she is our sort of Canadian example of that sort of political pushback from this person who is just suggesting, let's try along with medication, let's try the low carb food plan to deal with obesity. Yeah. And I have to say that getting to sit in on that interview, you know, she got very emotional. And I think it was one of the episodes definitely of the season where you can just really feel the passion that she speaks about. And, you know, after we connected on that episode, I had the executive uh, family director of our health team here looking at opening up a metabolic clinic. She was willing, she met with him. They talked about CGM funding and sources is all, you know, just out of the goodness of our heart. And so that's the kind of people that we are so blessed to get to work with on a regular basis. So we wish her all the best. And I'm sure she's going to be up to something in China for sure. Yeah. She's a, she's a pioneer doctor. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then we had Dr. Robert Lustig. And again, this is Vera talking about her takeaways from that episode. Okay, well, Dr. Lustig, he is my hero. I think he's many of our, he's, he's our fearless leader as far as I'm concerned because he represents the clinical, the professional, the academic, and the political. He gets all of those angles. And because he's so fastidious about his science, he makes the policy, it's not just strident politics. There's real science behind what he's promoting. And just, just on that, and he's very clear. He wants, he does not want to be dismissed as just a hothead. He's got science behind it and he he really focuses on that. So, you know, most of us know him because he's the author of the video gone viral, Sugar the Bitter Truth. He wrote Fat Chance and his most recent book, The Hacking of the American Mind and Metabolical, I've actually had the occasion to watch his development over the last 10 years from when he wrote The Fat Chance was the first thing to the most recent Metabolical. He was not so outspoken about the sugar addiction piece. He always hated sugar, but he was. it didn't seem like he totally believed in the food addiction or sugar addiction piece. He does now. He is like, hands down, it is addictive. And actually in uh, his most recent book and The Hacking of the American Mind, he shows that. So if anybody wants the science, read that book. And then just let me close off. The thing that he really stressed in the podcast 
as he does in his book, is if you people who are listening and struggling with your obesity issues, your addiction issues, don't count on the medical profession to help you become an educated consumer. So he tells you what stuff you should actually ask for, like what tests to ask for, what questions to ask, so you can actually be your own advocate. So he's like on all fronts. It's true he can get a little bit nerdy with the science, but my reassurance is that I know that what he's talking about is, yeah, is the real thing. Awesome. Then next up, we had Bitten and actually Vera talking about intermittent fasting. And so I'm going to talk about some of the takeaways from that episode. And so I think it was important that, you know, it was pretty much identified that for food addicts, you know, this fasting is starving for us and that a better approach is a time-restricted eating. And that, you know, you really have to be stable and in a place where our hunger signals are appropriate, our energy has returned before we can jump a meal, as uh, Bitten would say. And that if we are considering that, it's really good to seek support around that. What I also found very interesting about the episode was her talking about dairy and the experience in the treatment facility that she was working with from 2005 to 2008, where, you know, anecdotally, like 70% of the people that they were in clinic with could not handle it. And when it was removed, they, the weight stall that they were struggling with would be broken after that. And so it really is just that other piece of the puzzle that maybe if there is individuals out there, maybe that's something you look at removing for like 30 days. But she did say that, you know, if those people still do well with butter and ghee, it was just uh, dairy that was problematic. And so there's many different takes on it. And I think we've talked to Rob Wolf about this too. And it's really, we just have to listen to our body signals and our body will tell us if dairy is appropriate for us or not. But the only way you can know about anything is to remove it for a certain amount of time and it, then adding it back in and seeing how you feel. So those were my takeaways from that episode. And then... Oh, just, go ahead. I just want to say one thing um, that the piece that I really liked that Bitten and I came, like I saw eye to eye, is that intermittent fasting is a medical intervention. It should not be a weight loss intervention. And in fact, you can actually gain weight or you can certainly lose your weight control because of it. It's a medical intervention. And on that level, it's fine. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point for sure. Next up, we had Florence Christopher and she was interviewed by me and Molly and I will be doing the takeaways for that. So I really enjoyed her interview. She talked a lot about, shared her personal story and what I really appreciated that she said was, you know, the moment of addiction happens when you split into two minds and how important it is to identify that voice of the dragon, observe it, and then learn from it and then figure out how you can ignore it. And she also talked about that moment in your life where you feel like finally, like, food isn't a non-issue anymore. And that's kind of what I think a lot of people talk about in the 12-step program is that spiritual awakening. You know, it does come where it's just like, 
it's really a story of hope that you will get there where you'll see those foods and they won't call to you anymore. And then she talked a lot about the emotional eating and how, you know, we sacrifice the health of our body for our mood to feel better, to feel happy, to feel high. And that high is actually the enemy of happy. And that a lot of us may have come from families where we got inadequate and insufficient nurturing as children, and which may be why we went to the food as part of the way to deal with those emotions when and use food as a skill. And I liked when she's, it was interesting. She said, we had three choices, suffer, relapse, or suicide. And which one sounds the easiest of those? Relapse, right? To just pick food. And because it seems to be the easiest skill and just how important self-nurturing is to look after our body, our mind, our emotions, and our spirits to make sure that our needs are getting met. So I thought it was a very interesting interview with Florence and she always has some neat takeaways for sure. And next up, we had Dr. Joan Ifland, and she wrote the book, the textbook, Processed Food Addiction. So I'm going to do that review as well. And so she talked about how food addiction can be so challenging for people because it really does affect all four neurotransmitters, right? Dopamine, serotonin, cannabinoids, and opiates, and how really... One of the antidotes to addiction is oxytocin. And we can get that from community, which is why, you know, she has her art community and it's why we have our Facebook communities, right? That's where we go and we get that oxytocin piece and that can really help us in our recovery journey. She also talked about volume eating and speaking that, you know, that stretching of the stomach and that creation of the serotonin and high. And so that it is really important to note that for those individuals, they do need to have a way and measure plan so that they can keep that in check. And, you know, because they will always be seeking that serotonin fix and to find other ways. And some of those other ways are our social circle, right? In that we, you know, she loves to speak about the mirror neurons. And so, you know, it's, it's those five people you hang out with the most. So make sure those people are really positive. They're eating the same way as you. And that is really going to predict your outcomes with food addiction. I don't think it's the only predictor, but it's definitely going to be a main support. She talked about how big food used our biological wiring against us with the five A's of advertising, availability, affordability, addictive substances, and age of onset, just like big tobacco. And then she talked a bit about safe weight management and just how it's really important not to focus on the weight and really important to reduce the amount of food queuing in our environment. So even when it comes to food prep, make it a concentrated effort, maybe twice a week. So you're not have to be potentially queued by food all the time, that that is, you know, a really good strategy being in the right social circle. And she said, people who weigh themselves more, weigh more. So get the scale out of the house and don't celebrate your weight loss. So I just thought that that was an interesting take with her. 
Next up, we had Karen Thompson and Molly is going to do the review of that episode. Yeah, Karen really opened my eyes to how an inpatient treatment program could be beneficial, but also very complicated to put into practice, at least in the U.S., which is exactly why we have so few here in the U.S. and in Canada. I also really appreciated Karen's vulnerability and willingness to share her story with us. I mean, ultimately, I think that was my big takeaway from her. And she opened our eyes to the fat addiction thing. She was our first, you know, she was our first guest to really touch on fat addiction, which Tim Noakes brings up later on in the year, in the season. So I really appreciated that about that episode. And she's just so sweet, right? How do you not love... (laughs) Maybe it's the accent too. (laughs) And then next we interviewed Shun Foreman and Molly is going to talk to do the review on that episode. Yeah, people need Shun Foreman. I really believe that people need Shun Foreman. Her work to educate on the dangers of sugar and how too much sugar can hurt is timely. It's important. I also feel that her spotlighting the slavery aspect of sugar is an important social justice issue that we could all stand to learn and understand more about. And I think when we start to meld these issues together, you know, women's issues and social justice issues and food addiction issues, we start to realize they're all the same thing. They're all impact us. They impact our family members. They impact the people that we love. She is the person that I'm looking to lead that battle cry for sure. So I really, I really, really, really loved that interview with Shun Foreman. And I look forward to working with her in the future on more things. Awesome. And then next up, we had Dr. Paul Early and Vera is going to give us her takeaways on that. Yes. Okay. Let me say a few words about Dr. Paul Early. First of all, there's just too much to say because this is a podcast that's just chock full of information. Uh, Dr. Paul Early is uh, important, or I'm really pleased about him because he is uh, a physician, an addictions physician, and is actually the president of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. And even though uh, we here believe that food is an, an addiction, not all addiction physicians quite have cottoned on, but he uh, being in the instrumental role that he is, uh, has, um, he's actually infiltrating uh, and introducing that thought into our, uh, into the sort of collective consciousness of addiction physicians. So I'm very grateful for him on that front. But for we here on the Food Junkies podcast team, we're also delighted to have him and his presence here because what he introduced, at least what the takeaway that I got is that he has this concept I mean, basically that we can retrain our brain, that we have trained our brain in in an inappropriate way with addiction. So we have what's called an addict mind and he designed, he gives that picture of the addict mind and how we can retrain through a systematic approach that he has developed. He's got a manual that's called the recovery mind um, training manual that, you know, a clinician or a client can use to get from that addict brain to what he calls the recovery mind uh, or the addict mind to the recovery mind. So it's, it's a whole system and uh, he's got it laid and mapped out perfectly. And that's really uh, uh, exciting and very useful. The other piece that I really like about what he talks about is that he believes that his system, which is a secular system that anybody can use works very well alongside the 12 step model. He likes, he, he says that they work perfectly well together. You don't have to use a 12 step model, but it definitely is. uh, It works well together. So, 
anyway, I'm I'm uh, that's what I have to say about Dr. Paul Early. And then next up, we have Gary Todd's and Vera is going to do the review on that. Okay, yeah. So Gary Tobes, he's yet another one of my heroes that I have been chasing down for since I've read his first book, which was The Case Against Sugar. No, it was Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. And I was so thrilled when he agreed to speak to us. So, you know, Gary Tobes is like the investigative journalist of investigative journalists. He spent like three years of his like day-to-day life. No academic does that. They just don't have the time. They don't have the politics. They don't have the money. He devoted time to getting all the information about the food industry and about sugar and talked about that. And so, I mean, he, an expose against the case against sugar and how it affects metabolic health and also how the food industry is part of that. The takeaway that I really, really was struck with was how he showed that type 2 diabetes, which was a fairly rare condition, has become like one of the most common things that, it's the most common thing. And it's back to back against with the rise of uh, the food industry. And I just can't say enough about, I mean, he wrote his, his most recent book is The Case Against Keto, but the piece that I was really happy to hear was just his general discussion about his investigation into the whole sugar industry. And also that he was surprised that he didn't get attacked. He said he would have enjoyed that, but it didn't happen. I think it's just because he's so well-researched and documented that it's hard to come against him or come at him. Then the next episode was David Wiss, and we invited him back for a second episode to talk specifically about hashtag fiber gang, because there's a bit in some of the fields where those who were, you know, on team carnivore, team feed or team starve, he talked about in terms of with the fiber. And he really said that in his opinion, with his nutritional background, as a dietitian, he said that we should be getting about 30 to 40 grams and that he feels that specifically in the field of food addiction, there is a strong internalized weight bias. And I really, you know what, this was very eye-opening for me, this episode. It really changed the way I looked at my take on grains and whether they were actually a trigger food for me, because I think at some part I was just assuming it might've been a trigger food for me, but when it came down to it, I think I was still in that relentless pursuit of thinness that he speaks about. And if grains are part of my food plan, maybe that would be something that would make me feel a little heavier than whether it was actually a food I was addicted to or not. So he really just spoke about the importance of addressing that personal bias, that it could really be related to body dissatisfaction, and that internalized weight bias really colors the way that a lot of people in our field look at food and so because they don't feel safe above a certain weight and then he really reinforced that in his practice the only people he weighs are his anorexic clients and that is just because it's important to help keep them alive other than that weight is really you know it's it's not an important piece it's really we need to work on that body satisfaction So I really enjoyed that interview with him. 
And then next up, we had Siobhan Harris. And again, we touched on the weight piece. And I think her most excited takeaway was you don't have to get weighed at the doctor's office. You can tell them that you don't want to get weighed because she said every time she found out that number, whether it was high or low, it would create binge behavior for her. And she also said, you know, that number on the scale is not a good indicator of overall health. And, you know, you really need to go by the way that your clothes feel. And she did say that that mental shift takes time right? It's not going to happen overnight. And as we often find when we're working with clients, that seems to be the first thing they want to come and and get fixed, quote unquote, right away. And then over time, it becomes more of a non-issue. So focus on health and not the weight loss. And then she spoke about her kids and how she works with them or what their relationship with food is. And so she says that she you know, really finds it helpful to control what the kids eat at home, but that she thinks that there does have to be some level of compromise. And so she educates them on the foods and like how it makes them feel. She spoke specifically about this game, the food monsters, which after her episode on unsweetened Sayo, I got for my nieces. And it's this great little game where it just kind of has these monsters, like sucralose is a big, scary monster. So if you have like kids, this might be a great game for you to order. And if she has her kids read the ingredients and if they can't pronounce it, they don't eat it. So, you know, it's really, she has identified with her kids that if the food doesn't have a label, that's usually the best food for you. And then next up we had Dr. Joan Kent and Molly's going to speak about that interview. Yeah, I think this interview really helped me to start to see how food choices and the timing of those food choices can really help with the neurotransmitter production, which we all need to be focusing on to improve our sleep as well as mental well-being. So I think that was my biggest takeaway with Dr. Kent. And then we had a recap episode with Marion Nestle and Vera is going to do the review on that one. Yes. Okay. So Mary Nestle, she is somebody that I was also really thrilled to have on because she was a outspoken against the food industry as early as the eighties and, you know, moving into the nineties and into the two thousands and wrote books like food politics, soda politics, and was one of the first people, I mean, now it's almost like everybody knows this, but we didn't know this then. She actually documented how the food industry, like the pharmaceutical industry, governed um, our food choices, governed the, our academic choices. It determined what research, like the dietary research, that the dietary advice that the dietitian gives us thanks to the food industry. She showed that the reason why if a doctor tells you that moderation is okay and that a little bit of Coca-Cola is okay to drink is thanks to the food industry. And she showed the backstory behind that. So she was one of the first people to talk about that. And with these books that she wrote and then blogged and wrote in places like the San Francisco Chronicle. She was in all these movies like Super Size Me and Food Inc. and The Food Fight. And so, I mean, she got around a lot and had a, a big voice to talk about how the food industry was like the pharmaceutical industry and in how it affected our food and our science and our clinicians. And then next up, we had Dr. Georgia Eady and Molly is going to do the review on that interview. 
Yeah, the interview with Dr. Eid was super important to participate in for me because in terms of mental health, you know, so what we eat and how food really can be used as medicine, you know, Dr. Eid is doing amazing things and she's training others to do it as well. And I actually took her training. We we met with her. I was already signed up for her training. We met with her, we did the interview, and then I got the opportunity to work with her for five more weeks, you know, an hour and a half, two hours at a time. And my opinion of the work that she's doing and her did not change. She truly is a compassionate, empathetic clinician who believes in food addiction and is using food to help her clients improve their overall well-being. And I think um I think she's amazing. And if I could just add what I didn't know about her, and I think this, to me, it just blows my mind. She considers herself a uh, nutritional psychiatrist and uses uh, nutrition for psychiatry first before she considers medication. Because although she says she's open to using medication, uh, it's very possible that you don't need medication. Like the first thing to do is try the food. And I've never heard somebody actually lead with that as in their practice. And uh, so, I mean, she's another pioneer and hopefully will continue to influence other clinicians. Absolutely. And next up, we had Mike Collins and Molly is going to do the takeaways from that interview. Yeah, I would say my takeaway from our interview with Mike is just how passionate he is about prevention. And he really wants to see people rethink consuming sugar. And I really appreciated his radical honesty in what he said has changed over the years in working with people. You know, he really talked about in the beginning how he was like, you're either abstinent or you're not, you know, and and remembering those early days in the 12 step rooms. And like, if people were on any kind of medication, then like they weren't clean enough or whatever. And now all these years later, really realizing he just has to meet people where they are. And that prevention is a really great place for him to show up now with this newfound understanding. So that was my big takeaway from Mike. And then next up, we had Sandra Ilya, and I am going to do the review on that. So I really enjoyed our interview with her, specifically speaking about how she's been able to kind of infiltrate the obesity community and come alongside them and hold hands into getting them to listen to what they have to say so that they will listen to what she has to say. And she just said that, you know, there's so many contributing factors in food addiction. So we need so many different interventions for food addiction, right? So there's not just one way to fix this. And if somebody tells you there's one way, then, you know, run away, you know, sleep, counseling, a sustainable meal plan. We need a meal plan at every stage of our life, right? So it's going to be all evolving with our age, our activity level and our health needs. What I also really enjoyed was when we asked her, you know, in the individual individuals that she does, that she sees do well, what is it about them? And she said, it's when these people have that shift in perception when it comes to food, when they finally start to see those foods as drugs, that that's when there, she notices the real change. And if you've been chronically relapsing for 10 years, 
maybe it's time to stop doing the same thing that you're doing because it's probably not working, that it's probably not you, it's probably the treatment plan and that it's fine, you're worthy, have compassion, but maybe reach out, try something a little different. So I really appreciated that. That was my takeaways from the interviews with her. And, I want to add one piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. One thing that Sandra says that I always love, she says, my weight is not my business. Just throw out the scale. And I love that phrase. My weight is not my business. It's so true. Next interview was Dr. Michael Gorin and Dr. Nicole Avina. And Vera is going to do the review on that. Okay. Again, these are two, I mean, we are in a pioneering field and we're speaking to the pioneers and Dr. Michael Gorin with his book, Sugar Proof Your Kids and Dr. Nicole Avina with her books. And so she's been writing uh, as a researcher. So she wrote the book, Why Diets Fail. And most recently she's been talking, I think it was what to eat when you want to get pregnant and what to eat when you are pregnant. So there's a lot of focus now on basically children even in vitro, even before they're born? And how can we make sure that we don't create food addicts? How can we make sure that once kids are born and living in a very obesogenic and addiction-ogenic, in other words, I guess it would be addiction-philic, positive for addiction, food addiction, how do we manage with our kids? And they both talk about the tips and tricks about how to deal with things like Halloween and Christmas and all the holidays. And even though neither of them are hardcore food addiction like i think they still believe because you know it's the idea of we're trying to meet people where they are we know sugar is bad for you we know it's addictive we also know that if you just tell kids not to eat they're not going to listen so where's that line between let's cut it down to the point where it's not dangerous and maybe not addictive i mean so they're interested in that I, i'm personally more into the just knock it out just throw it out. But they're into, okay, yes, but if not, then what can we do to make it more palatable? So they're trying to get the whole spectrum. They really speak to the public about how to live a family life in this sugar addiction world or sugar laden world. And then next up, we have Natalia, and I am not going to try to pronounce her last name. Molly, if you can do it, that's fine. I do not know how to yep, pronounce so, it. So it's Natalia Staniszewska, and I really appreciated Natalia's ability to help us understand how neuroscience can be used to increase our skills to stop the binge behavior. So with food addiction, we know, right, it's there's the food that then, you know, our drug foods that then we binge on. But I think that her research and her understanding of the neuroscience with the binge behavior, I think has also been very helpful with the volume piece with for many of my clients, right? Because we can use the same techniques that they use with binge eating disorder with the volume piece. But also once the food is gone, for many of us, because this is a spectrum, that eating disorder of binge eating disorder sometimes does show up. It's sometimes there and we need to address it. So I really, really appreciated her. Sad news about Natalia is that she had a very a thriving Instagram account with all of this information. She created all kinds of content and she recently had it banned by Instagram with no warning whatsoever. So if you guys previously followed her, she has created a new account. And if you want to link to that or whatever, just let me know and I'm happy to get that for you. But she also has a podcast that has some really great information that does still exist. That is very sad news, but it also makes a lot of sense because she wasn't popping up in my feed anymore. Oh, internet. 
Okay. And then the next interview was with Dan DeFigio and that is Molly is going to talk about that. Yeah. I think what I enjoyed most about this interview was Dan's genuine empathy for his clients and how it truly comes from a place of his own struggles and triumphs. And I fully appreciate Dan's willingness to meet his clients where they are and help them come along the path to where they want to be. You know, so really talking about all the the goals that they might have, the tips, the tools, the tactics, but also then reminding them like, hey, if you try to do 180 things in one day, like you might do it the first day, but then you're going to give up. You know, so really just, you know, I think that habit stacking these tiny little steps toward what you want and his, you know, him having written the book food addiction for dummies or sugar addiction for dummies. So just appreciating his presence and some of the the materials he's put out there for us to come along and be able to use with our clients as well. Dan was a great interview. And then next up, we had Anna Lemke, and she is the author of Dopamine Nation. And I really appreciated. She spoke to the pleasure pain balance and how this plays a role in our understanding of compulsive addictive behaviors around food. She also shared her experiences working with individuals with food addiction and why food addiction is one of the most challenging addictions to overcome. I really thought it was so important how she highlighted how it's so necessary for individuals to get through those first 30 days. And she provided a few strategies around that, whether they were self-binding strategies or just tools that you could use. And that, you know, after that 30 days, you know, homeostasis of dopamine should be restored. And therefore you would be more stable to be able to tolerate more cues and triggers in the environment. Um, What I loved and I always say to clients now is it's so important to act in a way that's opposite to what you're feeling because addiction tells us one thing and we need to always do the opposite and that we can't think our way out of this disease. We really have to act our way out of it. Of course, she was also in the Netflix documentary about social media and she highlighted how social media, we think it's connecting, but it's really just drugifying the human connection and the importance of practicing radical honesty and how that really can rewire our brain to stimulate the connection between the prefrontal cortex and our reward pathway. So I really enjoyed that interview for sure. If I can just add, um, uh, when I listened to that interview, the piece that I really like to hear along the lines of what you were saying is that in order to relieve pain, we have to lean into it. And, you know, we hear this thing about, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, but she actually gives the science behind that. Uh, Like there is actually something about that phrase and that idea of if we can lean and sustain pain, we'll actually move through it. And I was just so thrilled to hear her talk about that. Yeah, that's why I cold shower every day. Exactly. (laughs) Just trying to get to pleasure somehow. And then next up, we had Mark Farley, and he was the creator of Sugar and Carbs Anonymous, SCAA, and he was just a delight, such a wonderful man. 
You know, he shared his personal journey. He also said how it's so important for you to find the right fit in a 12-step program. You know, it's just the same as finding the right clothes to wear, the right car to drive. You really have to search around. And, And he gave basically a synopsis of what it's like when you come to his group. But if you need more discipline, you need more structure, he's happy to help refer to somebody else, a better fit for you. Maybe that's Gracie. Maybe that's, you know, Food Addicts Anonymous. But what I really loved the most was he talked about the benefit of completing the 12 steps and working with a sponsor and how that helps you find faith and close that hole in your heart that you've been trying to stuff with food all of your life. You know, the spiritual awakening helps you develop faith in something other than food. And that I really felt was really powerful, you know, and he just reiterated again, that addiction is mental, physical, and spiritual. So no matter what, we do have to address that spiritual piece. And then next up, we had... Cynthia Myers-Morrison and Molly is going to do the takeaways from that. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to say about this episode because what I loved about it is how willing she was to share her story. And I think we maybe asked one or two questions. We asked her to share her story and then maybe we had a couple of questions after that. But but I think that was what I love is how willing she was to share her story so that others could find their way. You know, So her strength, experience, and hope is infectious. That is something I truly love about Cynthia and no one should miss this episode. That's what I would have to say about that one. Yeah, and I really appreciated that she shared, uh, you know, that sex addiction piece, that kind of taboo thing we don't talk about anymore. But I'm sure a lot of us with addiction experience, so it's kind of nice to shed a little light on that, you know, topic that a lot of people are uncomfortable speaking about. So I really applaud her for having that courage. Then next up, we had Jono Proudfoot, and I really enjoyed that interview. He talked about the addiction lexicon and, you know, the binge, restrict, relief from anxiety, emotional, physical craving, trigger, then binge again. And it definitely, it's the cycle we can all relate to. He talked about when he quit it wasn't about the willpower. It was about a shift in identity, in reshaping how he engaged with and experienced pleasure, you know, how he socialized, how he experienced life. Again, you know, a common theme is we need to make that shift in a lot of the interviews we did this season. He said, it's so important to understand your triggers and go in deeper and that you can only solve these problems if you understand them. That means doing the work. Again, something that sometimes our disease makes us very resistant to do. He talked about compassion. Molly and I, like Molly is more, this is one of her favorite topics, but you know, for relapse, compassion is the magic, right? Those who can forgive themselves for making the mistake the fastest excel because they're able to get back in the zone, heal the wound and get back to performing. And that I really loved. And that you can't punish yourself into recovery. So we really need to love ourselves into recovery because we've spent enough years punishing ourselves with this diet culture. And then we had the fabulous Dr. David Unwin and Molly's going to do the takeaways from that episode. 
Yeah. So my biggest takeaway from the episode with Dr. David Unwin was his genuine desire to help his patients and his willingness to be vulnerable and speak to us about watching a loved one go through addiction. I mean, I think that was my favorite part of that entire interview. I took a risk asking the question. And then when he was talking to us and he had, you know, before we started recording, he said, yeah, I, I double checked with Jen kind of thing. Cause I had made sure she was CC'd on the, on the questions as well. And the fact that they were both willing to let us in on that vulnerable aspect of their relationship was so special to me. And I think a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from clients and, and listeners has been, they felt the same. And so I think that's probably my biggest takeaway with, with Dr. David Unwin is just his true, genuine want for people to get better. Yeah, I really got the exact same feedback. You know, a lot of the individuals that I'm working with, they shared it with their spouses and loved ones. And I think it's really important to validate their struggle as well, like in living with a food addict. And so I think that that was a really important episode and and maybe even something more we consider exploring more in season two. Then we had Rob Wolf and Molly is going to do that review. Yeah, this one surprised me. He had been on my radar, but then I read his book, one of his books, Wired to Eat. And then after this interview, I feel like he's kind of like a little bit of a hero for me. So this was, it was an impactful interview for me because now I feel like I can better understand the biology and how we're wired. It really shaved away another layer of shame for me when he was talking about moderators and abstainers the nutritionist dietitian world, how many people start and stop each diets in the US alone each year, and that there has to be a different way. I also really feel like he's gotten the closest to answering our volume addiction question with the neuroregulation of appetite and our ability to eat past it and open the floodgates when we ignore it and we keep going or we switch what we're eating, like from something savory to something salty to something sweet, that kind of thing. So I really, I really appreciated that about his interview. And then we had Dr. Eric Westman and Vera is going to do the review on that episode. Okay. Well, Dr. Westman is yet another pioneer. I seem to be picking them in the low carb movement. I don't know how long he's been around, but Dr. Atkins, what was that? The seventies, eighties, he knew him. He studied under him and he wrote the uh, the book, the new Atkins for a new you. So uh, he's, I mean, Atkins is no longer Atkins. Now it's low carb. It's become keto. It's changed its name, but essentially he's one of the first people who has been promoting this and he does squeaky clean, low carb in the context of food addiction, well, in just in general, in the context of obesity and metabolic syndrome. He, I can't say he gets food addiction in the way that we get it, but his diet, his food plan is a perfect food addiction plan. And if you want to understand the whole keto thing and you want to get on, in addition to that, have a meal plan that's very clear, that's very mapped out, why it works, read his books. Like he's He's good. He does it. He's got a book that's called uh, End Your Carb Confusion, Keto Clarity, Cholesterol Clarity. He's all about educating. And as I said, you can't go wrong with him because he, even though he doesn't quite get the concept of food addiction, he respects it only because I don't think he personally has that experience. And we, you know, you can usually tell, but his food plan is safe and his teaching is good. And he had such a positive take on the DSM when we asked him, like, do you think food addiction will get in the DSM? Absolutely. (laughs) 
I wish he sat on the board. (laughs) And after our interview, he asked you to speak in his Adapt Your Life Academy. And from what I heard, there was a ton of positive feedback on that. So we just really like applaud you for doing it and applaud him for asking because obviously he's aware that there is a need in his community to seek support around it. And, you know, I have no problem in doing that because I know the food plan he has is the food plan that I would advocate. Um, Maybe not exactly, but uh, his plan is fine. And I think we can help each other. Definitely. The food addiction community and the low carb community. Absolutely. And then next up, we had Dr. Andrea Grayson. And, you know, I really enjoyed that interview with her. She spoke about the five pathways, one being of food addiction, right? Chemical being the pleasure pathway, right? The dopamine, hormonal being the insulin pathway, you know, the energy seeking roller coaster that we're on all the time. Biological being like the gut bacteria pathway and, you know, how bad bacteria thrives on sugar and simple carbs and causes dysbiosis. And then the emotional being the stress response pathway and how we rely on it to mindlessly manage our cortisol, but it actually does the opposite of that. And then the habitual being the ritual pathway that we associate these rituals with love. And we really need to disentangle the love from the food piece because that is not what it is for us anymore. I also really enjoyed her speaking about the behavior change and the brain's resistance to change and the three ways. There are three reasons it does this. One, because it's wired to keep us safe. So, which means we don't want to change. And since food isn't dangerous, why should we change our food? Two, that pleasure principle so that the brain is wired for motivation and reward and food gives us that drive. Three, that the brain is wired to conserve energy. So the brain loves a habit. It doesn't want to do extra work. So you know, what we've been doing requires no extra work. To rewire and do new behaviors requires energy. So it's really important to kind of create these new that, you know, again, it's that 30 day piece, right? We need to do these behaviors for 30 days and then they become the new rewired pathway in the brain. And then next up, we had Professor Tim Noakes, and Vera is going to talk about that interview. Okay, I don't know if I can match. I'm going to do my best. So Dr. Tim Noakes is a... The takeaway that I got was that he is another person who fought the food industry and he was successful. This is the amazing thing. So, you know, he started with the water, the water industry, you know, the uh, basically all the companies that promote overhydration for sports. And that's a big deal. That's a big industry. And he fought that. And because of his role in South Africa as a, as a uh, spokesperson in the uh, physician community, or, I mean, he actually is not a clinician, but he's a researcher and a policy speaker, or at least a political speaker. He was able to 
fight down that industry. And then when the food industry chased him down because he he had his he introduced something called the Noakes Low Carb Banting Food Plan and his book, The Real Meal Revolution. And we we talked about why is it that he got to be so well known when we have people like Robert Lustig in the States speaking basically the same kind of stuff. And why did Dr. Noakes is like it's like the best selling book and he's got a huge following and kind of talked about the comparison between uh, South South uh, Pardon, yeah, South Africa and the U.S. But anyway, that was I found that all very interesting. But just the fact that he fought the food industry and they too wanted to take away his credibility and question his science, and he won. He legally fought and won, and that's a great precedent for other people who may be afraid to speak. So that's what I got, just the, that he was a, a real hero and also that he was so successful. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I would say, oh, I was going to say, you know, I think my biggest takeaway is we asked him a couple different times in a couple different ways, like, what do we need to do? And ultimately he said, it may come down to some kind of legal case. Yeah. And, you know, so to keep that in mind that part of, you know, we may have to take a legal case to somebody with this whole food addiction thing in order to be heard. If like you, you had brought up Vera that like, we're often ignored, like it's worse, it's worse. Nobody's paying us any attention. Like we can't even get the legal attention that some of these doctors are getting, you know, then we've got Ken Berry early on in the season. Who's like, I'd welcome the lawsuit. And then you've got Dr. Evelyn who had that and her clinic closed, you know, whatever. And so it was just very clear to me that something big has to happen in order to be heard by the people or get attention, get the attention we're looking for from the people who need to give it to us. Yeah. And I love that he, you know, did the sports medicine side of it. And he was basically all the opposite way until he got diabetes himself. I think he was pre-diabetic and then had to completely change the way he ate. And that caused him to question all the science that he had been promoting for so long. I love anyone that could be so humble to say, you know, I thought what I was doing was right, but then I learned from new science that there is a better way. I think that that is so important because we can get so stuck in the dogma sometimes. And then next we had Vinny Tortorich and I will do the skinny on Vinny. He's always a delight. And this time we really wanted to focus in on what is it like for people who are just starting out with this new no sugar, no carbs or low carb, you know, no grains. How do people train in the right way? And he said, stop talking about calories. You know, that diet culture makes us think we can lose 10 pounds in 10 days. And, you know, if you don't do that, then it's all your fault. And this is part of the problem that it just just gets compounded all the time. You know, he talked about when you're starting the process, just focus on the food first, right? First 30 days, like get through the keto flu, the withdrawal, start to get a bit of that energy back, then use that energy to drive your movement goals and really just move, just get out. If you have a dusty old kayak in the garage, dust it off, get a paddle, get outside, start with a walk. And he really said that it's cardio. 
is the important thing to focus on. If you can work up to seven hours of cardio a week, that is ideal and optimal. And it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour a day, however you can fit it in. But he really also, we did rapid fire questions with him that you definitely should listen to, you know, work out in the morning or night, lightweights or heavyweights. And he's just, he has a sense of humor that you just, you just need to keep listening to for some reason you keep showing up for more so that it was a a great interview and so anyone who has any fitness like looking to start some kind of movement program that's a great episode to listen to and then finally for our season wrap-up we had kim dennis and molly is going to speak about that yeah so except for this episode. (laughs) This was our gift to you guys. We loved Kim so much. We had her back for a second hour and we gave her to you for Christmas Eve. She was your Christmas present. And I think that time spent with Kim Dennis was very important for me because as a clinician, I felt seen and heard by Dr. Kim. And as a person with food addiction, I heard that I'm doing everything I can with what we know, you know, because there is so much we don't know. And I also felt like other than David Wiss and Marty Lerner, Dr. Kim and her team are actively trying to bridge the camps, you know, between eating disorder and food addiction. And they're taking a lot of heat for it, you know, and I think we spent a lot of time talking about many of the same things that we talked to David Wiss about that we've talked to Marty Lerner about, you know, because she does have an inpatient outpatient facility where there's resident part, there's outpatient part, and they're treating eating disorder and food addiction all in one milieu, you know? And so that people are going to treatment and, and they're sitting, the food addict is sitting with the anorexic and the anorexic individual is having to eat the cupcake or the muffin with their meal. And the food addict is having to sit there and process why they're not having that thing. And it's very real and that's real life. And I think I just really appreciated Kim a willingness to walk in reality and say, listen, this is the way it is. Stop with the noise. Stop with the BS. Grow up. This is what it is, guys. Like, Come to center. Find the gray because we're here. We promise it exists. So that was probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah, that was such a wonderful episode. Two episodes. So I'm so excited for... uh, Well, by now, everyone has listened to it. And so we had our season two meeting before this meeting. And I just wondered, you know, if each of you would weigh in on what you are most excited about for season two. So Vera, if you want to start. Okay. Well, I think I don't want to say, you know, there's a a number of people I would like to see that we've been trying to get that we're going to keep trying to get. I don't want to Let's just see if if it happens in terms of me. But this is what I would like to say as a wrap-up and as a looking forward to, is that one of the things I learned about this year doing this podcast with you two was that holy cow, I thought I was alone in the field of food addiction with a few people here and there. And what I discovered was there's a lot of people who thought they were alone that were doing the same work in the last 10 years or 15 years or even 20 years that I didn't know about. That thanks to this podcast, working on this podcast with you two, I discovered, oh my God, there's a lot of us there. I'm not unique. We're not unique. 
And uh, that it does seem that well, we just discovered that there's 10 other food addiction podcasts, which of which we are in. So that means that there are other people talking. So the, I think we're at a tipping point here, finally. I know it's not the tipping point yet that we want to move society, but it's the beginning. And what we need to do is collaboration. And what is a podcast but collaboration? So I see that we're going to do more of this collaboration. And I just want to say, this is my piece here. I always say the power is ours and the bigger the power, the bigger ours is, which is what we're doing with the collaboration, the bigger our power will be. So my hope for the next year is that we continue to get people and collaborate and move that tipping point to the real tipping point of making societal change. Love it, Vera. (laughs) What about you, Molly? What are you looking forward to with season two? What are some of your takeaways, you know, just wrapping up season one? Yeah, I think that wrapping up season one, looking back over all of the different interviews, the hours spent researching our guests and making sure that we had worthwhile questions, you know, and just the feedback from the guests that then we got, it really just reminded me how much I really love talking to people and just hearing their stories and getting to know them. It's that connection piece. And I think the feedback from other professionals in this field who listen to this podcast, you know, saying when they're like, Hey Molly, we use this episode and this person to teach something to our clients that we're working with. Like that makes it all worth it. When we get these messages from people saying like, Oh my gosh, I heard this one thing from this one episode and everything clicked in place for me. Like that made it all worth it. So I think looking into season two, I would really love to see us expand and really talk about these issues, like real life issues, actual recovery issues, not so much addiction focus necessarily to the disease, but more of those recovery issues, right? Like living life, like all of that other stuff that goes along with it so that we can get on with the program, right? Like let's move forward and see where it takes us. I'm with Vera. I don't want to speak necessarily to who my best hopes are to have just yet because let's see if we can get them. But certainly I think there are many topics we can cover. I think the three of us could have more conversations too. And I think listeners might appreciate that as well. So what about you, Clarissa? What are your best hopes for season two? Well, I don't even know where to start. It's already been such a miracle, the whole podcast in the first place. It's so crazy to think about how we started it. And it was like just this little podcast guide. And we're like, oh, maybe we'll get a few guests. And then it just really took off. And I think that I have so enjoyed sitting down, having these genuine conversations with all these individuals in season one. I have learned so much. I have learned so much through researching before the interviews and then actually hearing the answers to the questions we created. And the best thing about it, there's so much information in each episode. So I went through and I reviewed some of the episodes. It was like listening to it all new again. So I know I will probably, there's so much value in being able to go back over some of these episodes. And yeah, same thing when I work with clients, you know, they've come up with a specific issue and, and now this is another 
tool in the toolkit where I'm like, oh, listen to episode seven with this person. It speaks specifically to what you're struggling with right now. And I just think like, I hope that that is as beneficial for the listeners. And again, you know, the feedback that we've received from them, the reviews we've got, it has just been, that is why I think we are doing what we are doing. And I am so excited for season two. I think we are going to get some really great guests. I already know of a few that I am looking forward to, but maybe we don't want to do spoiler alert. I still want Russell Brand. I'm just going to put it out there. If we can get him, it would be like a dream. And Dr. Mark Hyman, if anyone knows him, just make it happen. And, but yeah, I definitely think I'd like to cover, you know, some of the other issues that Molly talked about, you know, some codependency, some of the emotional aspects of addiction. Yeah. And we'd love to hear from the listeners too about what they would like to hear in season two. We are open to any kind of feedback from them. And I certainly think some more of those personal stories are going to be some of the highlights of season two, too, about some individuals in recovery. So I just want to thank everyone for joining us today and wish everyone a happy new year from the Food Junkies podcast team. Yes. Thank you. And happy new year. Yay. Thank you. Happy new year. Have a happy abstinent new year. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.